This week on the BOAG World Show, we talk about salespeople, kickstarting transformation, and managing your icons. This week's show is sponsored by Proposify and Teacup Analytics. Show the podcast about all aspects of digital design, development, and strategy. Joining me on this week's show is Dan Edwards, Marcus Lillington, and Brian Taylor. Hello, 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 Paul. So we've got uh, so Sam's not joining us today. He's sick. Oh. I think he caught something off a cat. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> what, because he has an allergy, or just because he spends too much time with cats? Uh, the latter. Oh. Why did my mind go to sexually transmitted uh, disease? Paul, I wasn't going to bring that up. I didn't think that, Paul. I was just thinking that, you know, just some sort of a horrible scabby cat thing or I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me. He does spend an enormous amount of time with cats. I just don't get it. I don't understand people liking cats. What, at all? You're just not no. a cat I, I, I grew up with cats. We had six cats. We had three generations Whoa. of cats in my house. Six? Yeah. That's a lot of cats. Mm-hmm. But it just cost me. More, just was, I think my mum were collecting them. They've all died now, which is really sad. One of them oh. lived to live like nearly twenty-four. That's which is very long-lived for a cat. He was kind of constantly checking, and then he went for a walk one day and never came back. They get really, really manky when they're that old. We had one that was twenty. Yeah, he couldn't, he couldn't clean himself anymore, which Ooh. is not nice. Yeah, no, cat, cats are good fun, but they're nowhere near as good as dogs. Well, what do you mean fun? I mean they. they... <laughs> I don't get it, right? Because essentially, mm. they've got no loyalty like a dog has. They're just, they, you know, they're they're basically. That's they, not true, Paul. That's some some are, some are more loyal than others. Um, and you get, we had one cat called Bubble who was basically thought he was a dog because he grew up with other dogs and acted like a dog. So <laughs> yeah. And, and they are hilarious to to watch the the way they behave with their their weird habits they have. Yeah, yeah, they're they're quite fun, but I still go for dogs. They get yeah. squashed on the road. I live next door a big a big road, so we had to stop having them because they got killed. Ah, oh. oh. well, I see. I just want to snigger now, but then I know people will judge me if I do that. Well, yeah, just you saying, are, you're on I the want... internet talking about cats. You can't be happy that they get killed. That's just not a. <laughs> Is that not acceptable? I don't think that's an acceptable thing, no. I I must admit, you see, my dislike of cats basically comes from the fact that they crap on our gravel all the time. Um, And then people say... Then you've got got to pick the crap up for them. (laughs) True. Or take the dog out, but yeah. Well, we have to pick up the crap for other people's cats. Have you noticed, though, that those cats aren't doing it in their own gardens? No, you see, and again, yeah, this is the thing people say, oh, we'll get a cat and then you won't have to. No, I'm not getting a bloody cat just for that. And it uh, it just, it drives me around a twist. So I throw things at them. And and I must admit, once I did actually hit one and I felt very bad. You're going to go to prison now, Paul. Yeah, I've got got this on record. Yeah, that cat lady pushed that cat into that wheelie bin. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's the see, end I of your have, career, Paul. I didn't. I didn't understand the problem with her doing that. To be honest, <laughs> I would have. I would have done the same thing. <laughs> I just think that because I, I, there are certain things, you know, you, it's like 
people i don't i don't understand it right i don't understand people's double standards over stuff like this because oh here we go right well for example there are all kinds of things um i'll tell you what right i went up to um we, we, there is something about being British and and animals, okay, that were ridiculous. I went up to a big open um, park area that we have just up the road from us, right, um, to fly my drone when I first got my drone, and um, this uh, and there were some people um, walking their dogs, and the dogs, you know, barked at the drone or whatever, um, and a couple of uh, a couple of people walked behind me with their dogs a couple of ladies and it was one of these very um kind of passive aggressive you know british ways of talking where where she she whispered very loudly so i could hear but she you know um well what they don't understand is that they upset the dogs right <laughs> flying these drones and i was thinking my wife is terrified of bloody dogs, but nobody worries about her being upset by the dog. And it's just like it with cats as well. It's like, you know, you you, you can't, um, you get in trouble if you play loud music, you know, for, um, to, with your neighbours can report you to the police. But if their cat comes and regularly craps on your lawn, <laughs> that's perfectly acceptable. <laughs> Do you see what I mean? Oh, it's, it must be so hard living in poor world. Oh. It's just, so hard being your wife. Yeah, she really does. Oh, from what point of view? <laughs> <laughs> just because she's got to listen to this sort of thing all day long. <laughs> she has to transcribe the podcast. The as thing well. with cats is the double standards. I've, I've turned into a grumpy old man, haven't I? That's what it is. You need to, you need to go on Radio 5 and call in. But yes. Try and make sense out of um, well, humans' relationship with animals. It's a massive, massive double standard. Bear in mind, we eat half of them. I know. <laughs> so you know, yeah. yeah, it's not even worth going there. And the fact that you know some countries actually eat the animals that we keep as pets. Yeah, yeah, it screws your head, doesn't it? That does. Let's and also, on. well, let's move. Uh, so, so Sam's ill. That was the yeah, Sam's Hill. <laughs> and then Andy is, well, he was supposedly in Australia, but he's not there yet. I don't know what he, but why he's not doing this show if he's still in well, the UK. He, doesn't he live in Wales? Yeah. I'm pretty sure they've only got like one internet line. And with this weather, it's probably. Ah, uh, yeah. Could be. Could... <laughs> he's just shouting down a, uh, uh, into a uh, tin can on the end of a bit of string. <laughs> I'm sure he said that he was going to be out there this week, but I think he is out there this week, just not today. All right. I think he's coming out there. Maybe in the he's travelling or preparing to travel today or something. My son is convinced that in order to get into Australia, right, you know, you have to go through customs. He thinks that before you're allowed in, you have to be able to wrestle a crocodile. Really? And the reason he's decided this is because he's decided Australia is just so dangerous that they have to see whether you're strong enough. <laughs> in order to survive in Australia. Cause it, and he started listing ways you could die, you know, in Australia. And it, it was quite a long list, I have to say. Yeah, ha- everything wants to kill you in Australia. That's, yeah. that's the thing. Yeah. Have you mentioned to him that you bought, you're thinking about moving out there or something, Paul? No, no, I was just talking about, we, we talk about places to go on holiday. Ah, and right. he's not very keen on Australia um, <laughs> for the above-mentioned reason. Yeah, there are lots of very poisonous things out there. 
But it, well, even, you know, millions the, of people manage to live their normal everyday life out there, so I don't think yeah. it's that big a deal. Yeah, yeah but they're the, they're a hardy talk sort. <laughs> they're, all, they're all convicts for a start, aren't they? So, <laughs> oh, I mean, that's got to give them an advantage. <laughs> I am not associated with Boag World in any way. <laughs> views expressed on this show. Yeah. Actually, we have a lot of Australian listeners. Not anymore. We did. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to go. I have to say, I'm quite envious of Andy over that one. Yeah, I've never been. I've been all yeah. over the place, but never been to Australia. We went on a honeymoon for a couple of weeks. Is it good? Yeah, it was beautiful. There was this absolutely gorgeous beach that we ended up stopping at, like, this viewing point, and there was this beautiful beach, and there was nobody on it. And um, it was just longest beach, one of the longest beaches I've ever seen. And um, it was beautiful. Nobody were on it. No one was sunbathing, nothing. And I said, why are not they on beach? And they went, no, because it's box jellyfish. Yeah, Ooh. see? Something yeah. can kill you. <laughs> one, t- one touch and you're dead. And they're like, Jesus. And there wasn't even a sign up or anything. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> That's because if, if they started putting signs up for dangerous things, they'd have to have signs everywhere, wouldn't they? Yeah. yeah. So, we had a really nice time, though. Lovely. So where were you in Australia? We went to um, Cairns because I wanted to go diving. Uh, okay. Which was quite sad because all the inner reef has all been completely destroyed now uh-huh. um, through human activity. So we ended up getting a boat that went out to the outer reef and that were, that were more colourful and everything. Yeah. Um, and then we went down to Sydney. Uh-huh. Going up to Blue Mountains, and uh, while we were up in Cairns, we went to um, a Cape Tribulation or something. It's where this kind of like this this rainforest meets the beach, so it's like you just come out of all this green trees and onto the beach. Really beautiful. Oh yeah, wow. that's, yeah I'd love to do that. So there we go. Right, should we push on then? We 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 might as well um actually do this show. Um, let's talk quickly about our sponsor, which is Teacup Analytics. Um. So Teacup, as as I've said before on previous shows, is a product I use myself um, and I find very useful for kind of giving me an understanding of um, uh, really understanding of Google Analytics because I'm not someone who is good with statistics and numbers and stuff like that. And um, I've really missed one of the things I've missed uh, since leaving Headscape is is having Chris. Because not that I miss Marcus at all, obviously, but Chris, <laughs> I've really missed him um, because he he um, he's just really good at being able to dive into analytics and pull out useful information for them from it, which I've never been very good at. I, I can't wrap my head around that. And so what Teacup Analytics does is it's essentially built on top of um, Google Analytics um, and you can go through like a a big library of questions that teacup has got in it like you know um what's my bounce rate or you know or well more useful questions than that my brain has just gone blank about all the questions they've got um but a whole library of different kind of questions you might want to know you know which pages are converting best that kind of stuff um and then essentially it provides you with a report around that particular question that you've got um so it's so useful. So instead of having to go through all the numbers, it, it boils it down into a really nice, like, rating score. So, it, you know, something's rated from A to D or whatever, you know, with A being good and D being not so good. Um, so essentially, it's a, it's a really great way of kind of summarizing all the complexity of Google Analytics down into a really set of simple reports, um, which are obviously um, reports that you can show to your clients. And this is where it gets really interesting because one of the big things 
um, uh, that you get uh, when you um, uh, are working with clients is that clients want to know whether what you're doing is working or not. Um, so the great thing about these reports is that you can actively show the return on investment that um, your work is generating, whether it be a new design, a new marketing uh, strategy, or even a small tweak to a you know a landing page button. It's all there, and you can see exactly um, what works and what doesn't. So it's it's got simple, understandable reports that are easy for a client to grasp. Um, and it also has this kind of achievables feature where you can connect to specific actions to, uh, to a report. So you can prove that it's a um, good idea to do a certain thing or not. So it's really great for demonstrating um, that your work is um, working for, to a client. And it's also great for um, suggesting what a client should do next. So you can check out more at boag.world forward slash teacup. Okie dokie. Right. So now, Marcus. Hello, Paul. You were telling me before the show you've had an epiphany. Yeah. <laughs> or something. I'm, not, I'm really building this up now. Something okay. occurred to me would be closer to the mark. You've had a random thought. Yeah. Well, basically, um, over the last, well, all, for pretty much all the time we've been doing the round table, which is obviously this series and the last one. Um, from time to time, we've been talking about, oh, how are things going from a sales point of view, et cetera, et cetera. And like, particularly Andy was sort of like, oh, you know, doom and gloom. Um, <clears throat> it's not going great. And I hear that. Or I read that um, from sort of, you know, looking, looking at other agencies. And I've been sort of Mr. Chirpy Chirpy, maybe a bit showy off. Oh, yeah, we're going great. Everything's fantastic. Uh, and I think it, it, it came up again last week. And I thought, I must, I'm just stating how things are, but you kind of feel like maybe you're showing off a bit so it kind of made me think so why is it why why are we doing well i mean there might be a whole bunch of reasons but it it occurred to me that myself and chris are both focused on sales and we've both got quite a different approach to it chris tends to kind of respond to more technical proposals and i'll, I'll respond to more design related proposals and we've got a kind of two-pronged attack but not not just that we we have two people who's first job it is is to do business development and to do sales and i've always my, my epiphany is that i've always said our oh, sales people are a waste of time and then it's kind of like but then i am one and so is chris and that could be the reason why we've been doing all right is the fact that we we really focus on it by you know mm. just naturally because that's what we do i obviously chris and i do a lot more than sales but it it's our it's it's the first part of our role and i think that in many agencies it's not. Even if you don't have someone who's dedicated to the role of sales or business development, whoever's whoever tends to deal with that, it isn't their first job. It isn't the first, you know, on on their yeah. job description, it isn't the first thing that comes up. And I think that that's important. Um, and as I said earlier, I've been saying, well, you know, I wouldn't waste your money on salespeople. I mean, obviously, you don't want somebody who who, who is going to kind of mess you around and not do the job properly. But I actually think now you just need to have somebody whose who's main focus it is. If they had a, a, a you know, maybe a project management role as well, um, then then they wouldn't be kind of this separate entity that's just out to try and make as much money for themselves as they can. I'm not saying suggesting for a minute that you have kind of product style um, salespeople in, in agencies because I don't think that would work. It wouldn't work for the salesperson either or the agency. 
But yeah, it was a quick thought that I had that made me think, yeah, maybe that is the reason why we're doing okay. And the fact that we can, we can focus on, on this area of work and continue to bring things in. And I think it also means that we can allow the rest of the people in the team to get on with their jobs. We take the pressure off, if you like, mm. uh, which I think is, uh, which is also a really positive thing. Um, and I suppose my final point on that is, I've always really liked doing this part of, part of the the job, and I think that often people who start agencies it'd be very interesting to hear Ryan and Dan's uh, viewpoint on this. They don't; it's the last thing they want to do. What they want to do is, you know, design great things, build great things. But the kind of it's a bit of a drag getting. I, I imagine that people think that it's a bit of a drag getting that business in. Mm. Um, but it always so, has, and it's always been an interesting part of the job for me. So I got well. I mean. How do you cope with it in No Divide? How how do you feel about sales? Uh, well, I mean, what Marcus <laughs> said at the end there, you know, we kind of are those people that it's not the thing that we want to do. You know, mm. um, yeah, we we especially as we've gone as we've gotten smaller, you know, we've we've kind of had to do more of that stuff. As you know, we've had to do more of the salesy stuff ourselves um, because you know you kind of have to wear multiple hats and mm. i think um i totally agree with marcus i think you know in an ideal world what we would have would be um somebody in business development or you know uh, a salesperson that does project management something like that i think the struggle is for a lot of small agencies is that when they want to expand or feel like they need to expand um it's usually because of a few things like in our case it was um when we wanted to expand it's because we had a project that required a developer you know that yeah. you know we need for an ongoing a long time so it made sense that we would hire them um the next step was a project manager because you know we could tell that you know me ryan and you know uh, trying to manage projects and also trying to do our own thing was was becoming you know impractical so it made sense to hire a a project manager but the work was always there and i think the thing with when when people think about we need somebody with sales because we're not getting work in is you haven't got work in so it kind of feels like well it's kind of chicken and egg you know you're like well we know we need somebody with business in business development or you know to help us with sales because we're not winning work or we're not getting inquiries through but at the same time we haven't got the money to hire them so it's kind of like this weird position that we've kind of been in for a little while where you know we've we've always managed to keep ourselves going um we've done very well at pints and then we've we've shrunk down and we've you know as is the ebb and flow of having an agency but we've never been at the position that i feel anyway that you know we thought you know what like now is the right time financially and everything that we can get a salesperson in so one thing we've looked into is a business development mentor which obviously um means that we still have to commit to doing a certain amount um, ourselves you know we, we still have to be the people that uh, are doing the business development but we have somebody there who's experienced mm -hmm. um, in helping agencies with business development um, that can come in um, meet us once a month um, give us tasks and things to do ongoing that will help us with with business development because I think the hardest thing is for people that aren't salespeople is doing sales um, and understanding well where should I be putting my efforts you know um, who's my target market you know what's my positioning like um, all these sort of questions that salespeople or business development people ask you and we just we don't really know kind of <laughs> what the answers are so figuring all that stuff out is is a is a really hard task and I think um, for us definitely a business development mentor is 
is probably going to be the way that we're going to handle it in the short term. Um, uh, obviously, longer term, I think, you know, getting somebody that would be more focused um, in business development sales would be great. Um, salesmen, saleswomen are normally the one of the biggest assets to any business. Um, you know, but it, it, like I say, it's one of those chicken and egg situations where you feel like you need the most when you don't have any work, which is when you also don't have the money to hire that person. So, yeah, it's tricky. Yeah, it's a, it's a really difficult one with, with sales because... I've got mixed, I, I totally agree with what Marcus is saying, that you need people that are focused on that and driving it forward and making it happen and being the primary part of their job and all those kinds of things. But on the other hand, it's incredibly hard to hire um, salespeople um, in our sector, um, in yes. our industry. And, and and the reason is, is because we're we're not selling a product, we're selling uh, you know, a service, a consultative service at that, um, which means you need an incredible depth of knowledge. So you're not going to get someone who is just a, you know, a kind of bulk standard salesperson. You're going to have to get someone who is, um, got some knowledge and background in the industry. So the chances are it's going to be somebody who is a, has been a designer, a developer, a project manager, something like that, who's then moved across into sales. And I think those are quite rare beasts in our industry because I think there is a certain stigma associated with sales in our industry. It's seen as dirty and, you know, and, and you know, unclean unclean well it is kind of isn't it no I mean, not at all uh, well no i disagree with you marcus i uh, that it, i think that's people's perceptions of salespeople, right is yes. that salespeople? nobody likes having a sales you know when you when you go to buy a car and the really pushy salesman's there like oh hi can i help you you know this is what you know it's like get out of my face you know and you, yeah. you feel like every time i you have to deal with the salesperson whether they're you know selling you a house or just selling you a t-shirt if somebody's super pushy in a shop for certain people, you know, that can really be off-putting. Mm. And I think that's our experience with salespeople, right? That they, it feels like a, uh, a, a yucky thing. You know, have have, like, have you recently to. been to a car dealer? And Yeah, um, I, yeah. I, well, last year. Oh, right, because my experience of this lately is that they – because obviously selling cars are huge luxury items. So, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the car dealerships put a lot of um, money and effort into training their sales guys. And now – you know, when it, five years ago, you'd walk in and everyone would swoop on you and you'd feel like, <laughs> oh, go away, leave me alone. Um, now, it, they, they, they've obviously been trained to just ignore you, even to the point of actually ignoring you. Yeah. <laughs> and because the, the idea being that if you go to them, if you bring your, you know, it might be just a little question about how much is that one or whatever. If you're... Yeah, initiating that conversation then that's much more powerful from their, their point of view yeah. so yeah i've found with, with car dealerships now you can just yeah around i think and it no depends on, to the, on the dealership you know like um I, I bought a new car from volkswagen and it was you know the, the process was very much like you say yeah. um however going into a second-hand car dealer with my girlfriend a couple of years ago was kind of you know more of the old school approach because i guess they're hungrier for the sale right because yeah. they're normally an independent and they're like Oh, you know, maybe I can, maybe I could get a sale here. So maybe that's that's a factor as well. But yeah, typically salespeople, you know, I think for a lot of people, just feels like, oh, you know, it means it's cold calling and it's you know salesy emails and it's hassling and mm. you know, yeah, the, the good salesperson 
uh, won't do all those horrible things and and you won't feel like you're being sold to but that's the problem is they're really hard to come by i think and that brings me on to the the second problem i think i have in this scenario which is you know how do you motivate a salesperson in in this kind of environment so so for example you know typically a salesperson would sell on commission mm-hmm. um and again that's straightforward if you're selling something like a car because it's got a set value and and there's there's not a lot of you know flexibility in in the product itself but with what we do you know it it w- it's very easy for a salesperson who's on commission just to overpromise in order to close the deal, you know. And and so then you look at well, okay, if it, if they're not commission based on the value of the product uh, project because they'll just overpromise to to make as much money as possible. If it's instead based on a commission for the profits that are being made, well, suddenly that's quite unfair to the salesman because the profit can be totally um, dependent on things entirely out of their hands. So, you know, there's so does that mean you can't use a commission model? And if you don't use a commission model, how are you going to keep the salesperson motivated? Yeah. That's why that's why in some ways I think it, it has to, to a large degree, fall to the founders to be the people that are driving sales i mean i'm not talking about big agencies but agencies of our kind of size Mm. you know i don't know how it can be anyone other than the founder that does that simply because of the knowledge involved and the the founders are the motivated people because they own a stake in the company if we're talking about um responding to a uh, request for a proposal where you go for a pitch etc that kind of thing how to please somebody is if they win so if you keep winning then you're you're going to be happy mm-hmm. um but i think the agency how sales people will work in an agency particularly smaller agencies is i think they have to have more than one role but I equally, since I'm thinking about this, I think their their main role needs to be sales, but they need to do something else as well, which kind of then suggests that maybe there are people within the team. You might have a designer or a developer um, who seems to have an aptitude for this. So why not, um, you know, make their make their role wider and they can start maybe looking at, at responding to certain proposals and that kind of thing or getting more involved in um, <clears throat> dealing with repeat business from existing clients because that's that's a that's a huge area of sales and it's it's a lot simpler than than trying to win a new new client as well but the problem with that marcus i i i see from a business owner's perspective that makes absolute sense and i completely see where you're coming from but the trouble is is the majority of people as soon as you say you're taking on a sales role they run away a mile from it and they run away a mile a mile because they see it as an enormous responsibility that you know of bringing in the work is a scary ass proposition two it's what they never you know that they don't want to do it it's not their their area of, of passion or excitement or anything like that i mean i'll give you an example do you remember right at the end of um the town pages days yeah, well, I was going to refer to me back in town pages. But oh, you I was going to refer to me. <laughs> uh, no, right. Because in that situation, I remember very vividly when things were really shit um, at the end and we were really struggling where Pete Boston turned around to me and said, 
you know, you're better off investing your time in sales rather than doing design work because you're, you, you, are, you are naturally very good at that. And I think I am naturally very good at sales. Yeah, yeah. But that filled me with absolute dread and disgust. You know, I couldn't imagine. I mean, these days I actually quite enjoy sales and I think we'll come on in a minute to, to how you begin to enjoy sales. But at the time, it, it was a horrible proposition. But I'm the exa- I was the exact opposite at the time. I was hired as a project manager and project management isn't really my fave. And I ended up spending most of my time trying to get more business out of existing clients. So, But then you'd come from a sales background. Yeah, that's true. I think it's a very, it's a very sales i think is a very much a a, a mentality type thing you be, you either are so well here's a question for you marcus why do you enjoy sales there's a lot of reasons one is it's kind of a, a new there's the challenge aspect of it so you're and challenge slash competition you're in you, you're competing with other agencies to try and win something that's quite exciting um there is a lot of responsibility, but I guess that's more from a business. Uh, why I like that responsibility is more from a business owner owner point of view rather than from a sales point of view. Uh, yeah, obviously there's there's the kind of the kind of tr- winning a competition aspect, but there's also the you know the the next project is always going to be the best one, and they're going to be the nicest client and all that kind of thing. So it's kind of meeting new people. That's that's an, an aspect to it. Because I think I, I do think one of the things you need you're going to need to do. Because I mean, I, obviously we're talking about agencies, but if you're a freelancer, for example, it's just you. Okay, so so you've got to do the salespeople. You've got to do the sales role. So there there is a question here of how do you motivate your stuff to do that? You know, yourself to do that kind of thing. And and for me. I actually quite enjoy the sales side of things now, and that's because i've learnt to treat it as a game so the the challenge aspect that you were talking mm. about a minute ago marcus i think now i see you know i have target that i want to meet every month for the business and it's a game as to whether i can meet it or not um and you know i and and a part of making it a game is to distance yourself for, from it a little bit and and to feel Okay, it's not the end of the world whether I win or lose this game. Absolutely, hundred percent, massively important because you, yeah. It, yeah, you've got to put. Sorry to cut across the airport, but you've got huh? to. Yeah, if you worry about making target, you won't make target. You've just yeah. got to kind of do your job and and try and enjoy it. Um, yeah. And if you just carry on doing a good job, yeah, obviously sometimes even if you do a good job, you won't win things, but. Um, I've been doing this for years and years and years now. And if you fret about things, then you're going to be uh, probably that will come through in everything you do. Um, And whereas what you're trying to do is kind of exude confidence um, because people are hiring you expect you to be confident in what you're in your abilities and what you're, you know, what you can do for them. So yeah, that's hugely important. But there is one last thing that has helped me a lot. I'm just trying to think of practical things. You know, there are people out yeah. there that have to do sales, right? So I'm trying to think of practical advice of, of things to make them feel better doing it. One is to gamify it and not to fret over it and to treat it like a game. But the other thing that has really helped me um, 
is to realize how much overlap there is between sales, the job of being a salesperson and the job of being a user experience designer, um, which might seem a bit strange. But, but in the end, both is about pleasing people, right? Um, a good salesperson should be about creating an outstanding experience for, for the people that, you know, the clients. Mm. Um, it requires you to empathize and understand the client's needs, their pain points, their goals, all the kind of thing we talk about as a user experience designer. And I think once I'd started thinking in those terms, rather than how do I bully, convince, cajole this person into doing what I want them to do and signing up, once I talk about putting their needs first, it suddenly stops being dirty in my mind um, and it becomes a user experience exercise of creating a great experience. So so that helped me quite a lot as well. When I set up um, Boag Works um, and I was doing my plan and calculating, you know, do, doing a business plan is very grandiose, but something along those lines. When I was calculating my rate, I was working it out on the basis that I would only be doing chargeable work 50% of my time. Um, and that the other 50%, you know, a good chunk of that will be admin and that kind of stuff. But the rest is, is sales and marketing. You know, and I think this is the big mistake that people make when they sit, uh, when they create their, their, um, uh, you know, business model, where they set themselves up as a freelancer or as a small agency, they don't take into account how much effort you need to, to, you know, put into building your profile and, and, um, you know, that kind of stuff. But anyway, I think it's time to move on. Yeah. So I found this, um, a little app. Uh, I don't know when I found it actually. Uh, not long ago, a week or so ago. Uh, it's called Zoomy. It's spelt funny because you know we're in 2017 and nobody can get a domain name these days. Um, so it's spelt Z O O M M Y. Um, it's by a company called Content Apps. But the thing is, is I love stock photography and I use it a lot either for um, just mocking up prototypes um, or I use it for wallpapers or for cover photos or just you know to give to clients for you know, blog posts and stuff like that. But the problem is, is that obviously, you know, I, I use Unsplash a lot because I really like its search and I think the images are really good and they're all just free to use. Um, but there's so many now, like there's so many different um, stock photo sites that it's kind of like hard to, you know, you have to just have all the tabs open, search in each one of them. Some of the searches are crap. Um, some of them don't have tagging on so that, you know, they're just stuff isn't tagged properly. Um, and it's really kind of hard to then, you know, manage that because you've kind of got like, you know, 15 different tabs open trying to search for like a nice laptop photo or something or a nice cityscape. Um, so anyway, so what Zoomy does is it basically it's a it's a it's a desktop app. Uh, I know it's on Mac. I think it's on. Yeah, it's also on Windows and Linux. Um, but basically w what it does is it kind of it's a really nice collated um, kind of single place to get. That, that brings in all photos from all the sources. So you search for, say, laptop, for example, and it will search across, like, I think they've got 50 um, stock photo kind of sites listed on there. Um, and then you can just click, a, like, an instant download button. It will just save it, or you can favorite it, and it will keep, like, a favorites thing in your in your sidebar as well so you can find them again which is another thing that's really hard to do you go and find a, a photo and you think oh that's great i'll use that from you know magdalene's you know stock photo site or whatever 
And then you need the original and you're like, oh God, where was that photo? So if you decide to use one, um, it's really handy for that because you can then, um, you can have it in your favorites and you can just easily see what the, like if it's creative commons or, you know, what the license is and everything like that. So I found it really useful. Um, it's, you know, it's only like $5 or something. Um, and the other thing is, like I said, because it, you haven't got to have multiple tabs open. It's just a single space. Um, you could collect, like you can create like a collection. So say you're working on a client project and you need loads of like photos for different pages or for blog posts or whatever, create a collection and then you can just start adding them to that collection um so yeah i've been playing with it and just using it for for finding finding cool photos stop free photos so yeah i i thought it was cool um and you know i i can't remember how i found out about it probably through oozled actually um because obviously we get lots of stuff submitted to oozled and um yeah it's it's really cool so um i thought it's pretty, it's something i have it's something i'd heard about ages ago um but it was a bit rubbish when I first saw it. I think I saw it in a like pre-release version, and it's really come on loads. It's yeah, I mean that's the thing. I think it was uh, December end of or at some point in December they completely revamped the UI. Yeah, uh, which is probably when I found out about it, thinking about it. It it's probably seems like a couple of weeks ago, but probably it probably wasn't. You know, it's was probably like a month or so ago. Um, and uh, yeah, it's. Um, yeah, I, I think it, the UI is, the UI is great. It's really easy to use, and um, yeah, like I say, it's just it particularly. You know, I, I always used to get comments from clients because I'd find like a really nice photo to use it on their site, and they'd be like, "Oh, where do you find these photos?" And I'm like, "Oh, uh, it was maybe from Unsplash, or it could have yeah. been from Splitshire. Um, I'm not sure." <laughs> you know, so it's it's really handy for that as well. You know, kind of keeping a if you decide to use it that way, kind of keeping a track of where you've sort of found images, and you know, also what the usage is on them as well, which you know can always be you know a a tricky thing you know you just assume sometimes that because it's on a stock photo site you can just use it for everything but it's not always the case so yeah it's really handy for that it searches a little bit um dodge (laughs) why'd you say that (laughs) well i just i'm I'm just sitting here because i i downloaded it you when you mentioned it again i thought oh screw it i'll I'll download it because i do the same i spend because i write so many blog posts yeah flipping imagery and um and it, it's really good really good and it's dirt cheap as well i can't remember how much it was, was five dollars i think five dollars yes yeah. so it's kind of a no-brainer really yeah. for the convenience it goes but this, you search on like something like clocks yeah. and you'll get you know an ocean liner <laughs> I, I have no idea why that's being returned with clocks so i suspect the tagging is a bit kind of yeah i mean that's that's the thing i guess is that they're probably limited a little bit because like i say the problem with with a lot of these sites is that they put together these you know stock photo sites and they fill them fill them full of ads and they get loads of probably revenue i'm assuming by people just coming and just downloading photos and getting ad revenue and stuff that they don't really care if the user experience on their own site is that good you know uh, unsplash is one of the only ones that i use regularly or did use regularly um, that has a really good tag and search. Most of them are really bad sites that are, like I say, full of adverts and the search is crap. So I'm guessing if they don't put the effort in on their site, I'm guessing if they've got a feed from that site, it's probably the tagging's still going to suck a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I'm interested to see if it gets better. You know, if they start, you know, getting actually going in and tagging the photos themselves, that would be pretty good. Um, or even open it up to the user. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Well, that's what Unsplash did. 
Yeah. Oh, is that what they did? Yeah, yeah. Oh, they right just said, you know, start tagging photos and, you know, that helps. Basically, when they released tagging, they said, right, now, that it's all well and good, but now we've got a back catalogue of like 10,000 photos we need tagged. Can you help yeah. us? So people just started tagging them. Excellent. Yeah. I think that's brilliant. Because, I mean, this stuff is so invaluable, especially when you're doing like just kind of comp work oh you god know, yeah yeah you, you need decent imagery and um and this just makes it so easy yeah definitely yeah i thought but it was it, cool it is cool very cool i'm downloading it you're downloading <laughs> it now yeah, yeah. yeah i mean we're always doing i'm having to you know search for like you mentioned cityscapes we've been looking for great cityscapes lately and I, it would be very handy to have something that can search everywhere yeah, yeah, and there's also a lot of. I mean, there's, I think they said they've got over fifty re, like um, uh, different sources, which is mm. more than I have in my bookmark list of of stock photo sites. So I'm sure there's ones on there that I've never heard of as well, which is obviously all a, always a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. And you can search by emoji if you want to. Well, <laughs> then what more do you want? Exactly. What I do like the the more useful tool that you just skipped over there to to jump to emojis, which is obviously <laughs> the primary way you want to search. Is you can search by color. Now that oh, is okay. <clears throat> yeah. So I, I uh, don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, well, yeah, yeah. It's a color spit. Yeah. Yeah. So that's very useful when you're doing a design. Yeah, absolutely. So I love it. Love it. Good. Good recommendation. Top points for you. Well done, <laughs> Ryan. Yes. What are you gonna What are you gonna talk about? Uh, I'm gonna talk about a service called Ico Moon. Right, uh, I know Icomoon, yes. Yeah, so um, I, re- I realised that completely automatically I use this I use this service on pretty much every single project, and it's one of those that's just become my go-to, and I never it never popped into my head, I'll talk about that. But basically what Icomoon lets you do is it lets you generate icon fonts, mm-hmm. um, and it's massively useful. You, um, you, you upload your SVGs, and it's got a really nice... Um, interface once you actually get into the system it's free to use as well you can you, you, the, the only issue of use it free is it's only saving what you're doing in local storage so as soon as you you know clear your browser cache or something you you lose it you lose your icon set so you do need to go into the paid one um to um, to retain that for you know for however long you're paying for the subscription but um but it's got a load of font it's got a load of icons readily available so you, if you just wanted to quickly get an icon set together you can actually pick some of the ones that are in the library that it has but also you can um we 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 have icon fonts in every everything we build and i think a lot of people um, we have icons in everything we build as a lot of people do and one of the advantages of putting it in an icon font is you instantly have control over its size its color um anything that you can apply you know textile until you can apply to the icon font so it's really useful in that regard and because this is so easy to just add fonts to and then re-download the uh the icon font you can just keep adding fonts to your project quite easily and manage it through the system and it's got some um it's got some nice features um that just let you rescale the svgs once you've uploaded them um, so you can make sure they're on the same grid, all your icons are on the same grid and you can crop them and reposition them. Or if they're color, you can then make them just black. So you've got a consistent set of black icons in your font ready to download. And it's, it's just really, really useful. It's just a simple little mm. tool really. But, um, but I thought I'd mention it in case anybody hasn't heard of it before, but it's, it's really good. 
I like it a lot. I just show my ignorance here because I'm I'm a little bit out of the loop these days um, when it comes to the development side of things. Icon fonts they're falling. Sorry, yeah, icon fonts are falling out of fashion a little bit, aren't they these days? Aren't people? I thought I I heard some accessibility problems and that now everybody's using v, uh, SVG. Or am I imagining there, that there 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 are ways of applying? I mean, it depends on what impl- what what approach you're going to take. I mean, I personally like using the icon font still, but there are ways you can actually you can create SVG sprites and things, and then um, there are ways of referencing which sprite to use by ID in your in your markup and various approaches. But I I think it's just a simple approach to work. Yeah. The, the, uh, the thing is, everything falls out of favor, doesn't it? You know, you I, I know, get a really yeah. good approach and you work it into your workflow and you go, well, this works really well. And I've got all this flexibility. Oh, it's not cool anymore. All right, I'll just spend the next, yeah. you know, figure out another way of doing it. All right, that's not cool anymore. All right, I'll just find another way of doing it. But um, I think it, it, there are ways to um, there are ways to put on accessibility tags onto your, you know, your font, your icon declarations and there'll be people arguing with me you know and saying oh yeah if you do it that way then you know you don't you know it's not as accessible and whatnot but it, it's boo sucks to them is yeah. what you want to say <laughs> yeah. i just thought uh, yeah I, I think i think i think there's still a place for them um i still well, i still think they're useful i think some of the uh i think some of the implemented other implementations i've seen for handling icons can be a little bit convoluted yeah um and 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 you know and obviously once you've worked them into your workflow and it's just you know that's you've you've got a set way of applying icons into your projects um it's less of a less of a hassle but um we've tried it both ways and this and this way has always been the most straightforward so um so yeah i mean it's cool. up to, it's, it's, a, it's a judgment call on every project isn't it it's up to you yeah 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 yeah, I mean, it's absolutely just something I'd heard at the moment. I've got to say, I agree with you. I mean, all the time you've got to balance the the technically best way of doing something with the realities of doing business and what's fast and what's cost effective and those kinds of things. So those kind, you know, those kind of trade offs happen all the time, and it is very much dependent on a per project basis as well. What you know, what's the right thing to do on one project isn't necessarily the right thing to do on another. Yeah. All right. Well, I just want to quickly um, wrap up our discussion for today by mentioning a book. Um, as Andy isn't here to to hog all the books, um, uh, I want to mention a book called Transform by Jerry McGovern. Um, that I am reading or I have just read um, really, really um, interesting book, very inspiring book. Um, so it's, it's about um, really how organizations need to adapt and change to the new digital reality um, and about how the world has changed and businesses and organizations are not changing fast enough to be able to update that. So in many ways, very similar to my digital adaptation book, but Jerry's a great writer. He's got a way of, of putting things um, which is always very uh, controversial um, and forthright, which I love. Um, and he also backs up what he, he writes um, with loads of great quotes and statistics. So um, I would recommend this either as a book you give to your clients or possibly a book to give to your manager if you work in-house, um, but also a book that you should check out yourself, mainly because it's full of, like I say, quotes and stats and references that you can then use um, when telling people that they need to make um, business changes. Because the, the thing that I'm I'm becoming 
really obsessed by uh, with lately is is how the role of user experience designer is changing. You know that um, it was the stage where being a user experience designer was um, uh, all about designing user interfaces. Um, then it became about designing products and services. And now increasingly it's about, you know, transforming, changing organizations to be able to better support, you know, the customer experience. So um, we really need to be kind of broadening our view of these kinds of things and looking at, at um, you know, some of the fundamental changes that things like design brings to an organization um, and how it's, it's better for it's good for a lot more than just kind of pushing a few pretty pixels around. So anyway, that's all I wanted to drop in. We won't spend long on it because uh, we, we are running out of time. All right, let's talk about um, our second sponsor of the day, which is Proposify. Um, managing proposals and creating proposals is quite a tedious, painful chore in a lot of ways. And Proposify is doing some great stuff at changing that um, uh, and improving the entire process from uh, the creation of your proposals to closing the deal and really everything in between. So it's it's basically online uh, business proposal software that gives your entire sales team, um, uh, you know, an advantage because it makes producing proposals so much easier. So whether you're one guy, um, you know, like um, like we were talking about earlier, whether you're a freelancer trying to create proposals in your spare, you know, spare time amongst your paid work, then Proposify will speed you up no end and, and let you get those proposals out the door quicker and let you get back to prop, um, your, your actual normal day-to-day work. If you've got a sales team, it'll allow all kinds of collaboration uh, between your salespeople and checking each other's work and that kind of stuff. So it's it's great for maximizing your time. Um, so you can get your proposals into the hands of your clients a lot faster. It's got a great editor. Um, you can reuse content from previous proposals and create a content library. Um, it's also really good for um, uh, kind of getting you to collaborate if you've got multiple salespeople and getting them to check each other's work. And um, uh, it's got things like roles and permission, adding comments, all those the version history, all the kind of stuff that you would expect. And it just lets you close those deals faster, really, um, because you can uh, the client can view the proposal anytime from anywhere on any device. Um, you, they can also sign off the proposal there and then online and that you know it's got electronic signatures and all of that kind of stuff so it's definitely worth checking out at proposify.biz forward slash boag world okay before we do marcus's joke i just want to do one other little thing which is to plug what we're doing next season um if you last listened to last week's show you'll already know um but essentially next season we're going to do a series of lightning talks um so anybody can submit a talk um uh for 10 to 15 minutes um and we will include it on the show on a first come first serve basis all right so i'm not gonna uh, you know the idea is to encourage new people to start speaking so you could be jeffrey zeldman could submit a lightning talk not that i suppose he will but um he could do and he wouldn't get featured any faster or any sooner than somebody who's never spoken before i want to encourage people um and give them a platform to try speaking for the first time and essentially it's really straightforward you don't have to have any nerves or worry about it because you pre-record the talk 
that you want to give. So you can run through it as many times as you want. You can get it perfect. You can edit it. You can do all of that kind of stuff. Then send it in and we'll feature it on the show. Um, you can find out all the details about doing this at boag.world forward slash season 18. And I'll tell you what, I reckon I'll be able to feature everybody who submits one because I'm quite worried that I'm not going to get enough talks through. Um, so so expect Dan, Ryan, I will be coming and hassling you. Go, please give me a talk. I need talks. <laughs> so, and Marcus, obviously. You're going to do one, Marcus. I will do one. Yes, of course I will. I, well, by what you just said, I'm going to do two. <laughs> yeah i think you probably might have to uh, but, yeah which i've got guys that and I, i've been meaning to say this for weeks um because oh, this is about this week's uh not this week's this series um about having tips and you know kind of helpful stuff um i've been thinking i've written on my list of things to include that i might want to include in, in the podcast podcasting or, or editing yeah. podcasts and i don't know what to say on that that and it's kind of got any ideas because i think i think you know i think a lot of, over the years people have asked us about maybe equipment and stuff like that i suppose i could talk about that yeah but it's less it. it's less of a thing these days than it used to be because there are so many services and all, but even talking about those services like yeah. the one that we're using right now i definitely think yeah there's something to cover in that all right I might talk about uh, that next week then. And I think it's worth talking about as well. If people are going to be submitting lightning talks, you know, about how to, you know, have from an audio point of view, how to make them reasonable quality. That's something worth talking about. We also ought to talk about what giving a good talk. I might give a talk about that. That's your thing, Paul. Yeah. Cool. All right, Marcus, what's your joke? I can't remember who gave me this one, but I like it a lot. I had to close my chicken dating agency. I wasn't able to make hens meet. <laughs> oh, it's been a while since i've been on this that show is good, just, you know, on. it's good if anything's consistent it's the jokes isn't it yeah <laughs> absolutely so dan where can people find out more about you uh they can follow me on twitter at de or check out um what myself and ryan do at no divide studio.com cool marcus uh, headscape.co.uk because you don't tweet. I do sometimes, but I'll add that insight. Marcus 67. There you go. But don't, you know, he's not going to, he's oh, not going to kind of beat down your stream. Marcus 67, because 67 was the year that I was born. And I was born on the 28th of February, 1967. So I'm 50 tomorrow. There you go. Oh, I completely forgot. That's Sorry. Because okay. when this goes out, that'll be two weeks ago. So <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and ryan so obviously you can find out you about you at no divide but what are you on twitter i'm at ryan havoc yeah there we go all right well happy birthday for tomorrow marcus thank you Paul. and um and dan thank you for standing in for andy and sam i hope you're feeling better soon and ryan thanks <laughs> oh you made me feel so well <laughs> I, I ran out of steam I had something for everybody else and then realised I didn't have anything from you I thought he was going to say something rude right? but thanks right I love you deeply and on that warm and fuzzy note let's finish this week's show thank you for listening and goodbye
Oh, you're a fuck.